HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hey, hey, it's your host, Kathy Arway, and this is Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. It's February 14th. Happy almost Valentine's Day. Um, I'm sure this place, Roberta's Pizza, where we're at, will be filled with couples tomorrow. Enjoying the uh, dish du jour, or whatever that may be. Prefi, usually. Um, But today, I thought I'd have on as a guest my Valentine. This year, Shane Welsh. How are you? Good. (laughs) You're sitting really far away, actually. It's kind of weird. The chair was placed far away. You've got to lift that thing. Okay. Um, so Shane is the president and founder of Six Point Craft Ales, or Brewery. Sorry, Six Point Brewery. Yes. It, it, what, tell me about you know the clarification on that name, because it used to be Six Point Craft Ales. Well, Six Point Craft Ales was always a derivative of Mad Scientist Brewing Partners. Which is the mother company, yeah. Yeah, not, not to get too... Uh, you know, corporate, but the idea was always to have uh, an entity that would do lots of different things in the realm of brewing. Mm-hmm. So not just uh, beer, but other things that you can ferment. Okay. So craft ales was sort of the first uh, exploration right. of that. But now that we're talking about Six Point, because there's loggers now, or one logger in particular, Two, the crisp. Three, actually. Oh, okay. Don't forget about the Berserker Bach. Oh, yes. Bach yeah. is and, and the emasculator. Okay, I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's back up a little bit. It's a new year. Um, last year, huge breakthroughs. Um, there's cans. There was a crisp. Mm-hmm. There's lagers. And that was a first. And also, I know you have a festival coming up, Beer for Beasts, which is a, in partnership with Beer Advocate. Humane Society uh, fundraiser party at the Bell House, March 31st. Check it out. Um, but what are you most looking forward to this coming year? We have so many things in the pipeline that it's, it's really hard to, oh, to pick one particular it? one. Mm-hmm. No, I can talk, but um, it's really the opportunity to connect with people. 
And so the, the having the cans really accelerates that ability. Um, you know, you can get into it's 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 per it's it's like uh, osmosis. You know, like when you're only on tap uh, at bars and restaurants, you're limited to people who uh, have the inclination to go out. And a lot of people enjoy beer and wine and all these things. But they just don't want to go out mm-hmm. because they have families and they have I don't know anything obligation. about that. <laughs> Not going yeah. out. Just kidding. <laughs> well, you still went out for drinks. so That's true. But yeah. the thing is, is that uh, it's the same intention. I mean, you know, you took your hiatus from going out to have food. But there's a lot of people who do a similar thing every day. Uh, not for a contest, but for necessity. They would love to go out for a pint of beer, but they can't. So they grab one or their wife grabs one on the way home from work and they have a beer at home. And now that we have our beer in cans, uh, we've been able to connect with these people. And they write emails, and some of them are very thoughtful, and it's really... It's really awesome to read mm-hmm. them. And that was happening for the um, for the last few years with Growlers, too, which is a very communal vessel for beer. Um, you, you get four pints in one regular Growler. You fill it up. It's, it's a party. It's a party-serving thing. It is, but when you think about it, you just mentioned a very important fact. You get four pints in a Growler, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when you buy a four-pack of our beer, you also get four pints because mm-hmm. it's four 16-ounce cans. The only difference is you can crack them open individually, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, because you don't want to have leftover stuff in your growler. So if you're going to open it, you got to share it or get drunk. But, right. you know. Well, that's the thing, though. How could you... I mean, if it's more, if it's a better price in cans mm-hmm. than in a growler and you don't have to drink it all at once, it's a pretty... Yeah, true. And it's more accessible. Right. And get it at a deli as opposed to, you know, not every deli has this little nice tap uh, device and so forth. Sure. And the other thing is, is people always say, well, beer, beer on draft is better. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not necessarily. I mean, we've had a lot of people write me, including just today. A guy wrote me about uh, how he thought the beer tastes better in cans. And what's funny is Clean that. your draft lines, everyone listening. Who has a bar? (laughs) That's a topic of a whole other show. Um, I used to run a a tap cleaning business (laughs) when I was young. Did. And uh, when I was doing my apprenticeship, my beer apprenticeship, I was making minimum wage and was looking to do some additional services. So I had a tap cleaning business. And I'm not going to name any names, um, but this, this wasn't in New York, but... I went around to <laughs> to clean some taps, and some of them were not cleaned out in years. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this one bar, which I used to drink at pretty regularly. Um, when I I basically I cooked up a hot solution of sodium hydroxide caustic, which basically that chemical will dissolve uh, anything organic. So anything with a carbon ring, it'll turn into soap. Okay. Um, nasty stuff. Mm. And that's like, you know, chemical burn is different than... Um, uh, so there's like desiccants. Like a dangerous business you're in. 
No, but just like to give you an idea of what chemically how how chemical burn works. Um, you know, f- when you get burned by fire, it's the heat that just will burn your cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, with chemical burn, there's no heat, right? But it will dissolve your skin, skin and organs, so our tissues. So, like, if you get uh, the stuff on your hand. You'll look down and the skin will be gone, and mm. sometimes it goes down to the fat or the bone, and you, and then then Ooh. you'll you'll feel it a, a half a minute or a minute later, <laughs> and then after that it really hurts. But so um, what happened when this chemical hit that? Well, depending upon fat. how severe the uh, clog or the how dirty the tap lines are, um, will determine the potency of the solution you have to whip whip up. So this one I had pretty bad feeling about seeing that the owner said that it wasn't cleaned in years mm-hmm. so when I, f- I f- whipped up a hot solution and I tried pouring it through after letting it soak for a bit and it wouldn't come out the spout mm-hmm. which never happened before so then what I did is I hooked up a, a, a CO2 tank and basically forcefully shot it through there and what happened was on the other side of the tap um, about a three or a four foot black tapeworm right. came shooting. Uh. That was what was in the line. It was a, it was uh. it was like a slimy bacteria mold that was basically in the tap line oh, and had been growing for years. Uh. No, but well, just think because okay. every beer that that got poured through there prior to that passed through that slimy tapeworm. This isn't a very appetizing Valentine's Day episode so far. <laughs> anyway. No, we need more morbid uh, <laughs> gut-wrenching well, Valentine's Day So episode. you're saying that this is uh, something you, you're looking forward to is connecting with people by mm-hmm. uh, having you know these portable cans. Um, mm-hmm. Any other examples of that that you can think of? Well, two events year? right off the top of my, um, my head. You mentioned Beer for Bees. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beer for Bees is turning into this amazing beer festival that is, it's very unusual. Mm -hmm. Uh, So instead of being a a fest where, um, you know, you charge an admission and everyone gets a glass and goes around and drinks all these beers that they usually can purchase. Yeah, you can never get these beers exactly, you know, the same way again. It's a roundup of, of, you know, maybe around 50, I think, this year, give or take. Um, one-off beers that we're making just for this event. And last year, I remember people were saying, where can I get this? These beers are so good. Right. But, yeah. Well, you just touched on a really good point, and I, I think what it's about is intention. Because beer festivals are usually put on um, to drive sales and second, you know, sales after the fest. Oh, right, yeah. You're so, never going <laughs> to buy them. Again. So generally what happens is... Um, Breweries or wholesalers uh, put on beer festivals because they're what, call, what are called sampling events. Mm-hmm. So, Tasting events and so right. forth. So what happens is customers go there, yep. and hopefully they become acquainted with the brand, and they taste it, and then they're supposed to go out and buy the beer at stores or bars. Mm-hmm. So it's, in other words, the expense of participating in the event is justified by the follow-up sale. Right. Right. So the cool thing about Beer for Beasts is that there is no follow-up sale. Well, aren't we going to have some it's core just, flavors on, on the draft at the Bell House? That's up to them. If they oh. want to do that, that's fine. Okay. Um, I think it still They helps pour our people. beer regardless. They've yeah, been pouring our beer for since they opened. But the 
the point here is that people can come and they can enjoy beers that will be available for f three hours only mm -hmm. in their life. And they can drink it. And by doing so, they can support a really awesome group of people, which is the New York Humane Society. The Humane Society of New York is the official name. Mm -hmm. So that's a way of connecting with people that um, you just think a little outside the box. I mean... We have a group of people in New York. They like beer. They like creativity. They like animals. And we can put on this event where we can showcase... They like burlesque. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't like burlesque? We will have burlesque at Beer for Beasts. You know, the other thing, too, is that... I've been thinking about this. Like, you get about 9 million people in New York. Just in the five boroughs, that's official population. So that doesn't include transient, student, temporary... Um, Diplomats, people who have a condo and live here for three months out of the year. All that doesn't... Jet-setters and such. Exactly. When you include the 39 million tourists, right, plus the 32 million people in the New York, New Jersey, Long Island, Westchester area, and Connecticut, um, there's a ton of people just passing through. And that's a, lot of, that's a lot of people on the order of tens of millions. But what about all the animals that live here? I mean, we always is talk there about cities. Data? I don't know if Maybe there is, we but should I, try to do that for. But just think of it this way: there's nine million permanent residents. How many are there with animals? Is it in the order of millions of animals that live in New York, or is it hundreds of thousands? Well, I mean, if you take into consideration all kinds of animals, I would hope there be more animals than people. Yeah, rodents, but, uh, birds. That's Let's just say pets or okay. companions, right? That's what I meant. So there's definitely as many rats, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but just think, like, the animal population or the pet population of New York has got to be staggering. And there's so many different events and there's so many different things every single day for people. So, like, if you go to Time Out New York, it's like any day there's hundreds of things to do for people. You mean a fundraiser for people, benefiting some sort of group of people? Fundraisers are also just entertainment or things like that. Oh, know? okay. I thought you meant for, like, meaning to raise funds for. That too. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, that included. Um, but seeing that there's so many different animals here, like, <laughs> and they're, so, they're such a part of everyone's life, or a lot of people's lives, like, they definitely need something. I mean, one of the biggest eye-opening visits, uh, connections that we had was when we, uh, I've been to the Humane Society of New York, and you've, you've been there with me, too. Um, the facility's uh, a dynamo. I mm -hmm. mean, for those of you listening out there, the Humane Society of New York is in this townhouse, and it's located at the base of the 59th Street Bridge. Mm -hmm. And within this unassuming townhouse... Um, which, by the way, it's an interesting story how they procured that. Because they used to have this tiny little operation. It doesn't look like a hospital, for sure. But it is. No, the reason why it doesn't look like that is there's a really interesting story behind it. A woman who was a widower and uh, an heir, uh, well, uh, you know, pretty independently wealthy. When she passed, she bequeathed her estate to the to Humane them. Society. Oh, that's fun. Her house, actually. Yeah. 
So her house, being the largest asset that she owned, went to the Humane Society. And they moved. Well, they were thinking about selling it and then using the proceeds to for various operational expenses. But then they just decided, why don't we just keep the house and retrofit it to become an animal hospital? So now you have this townhouse. Um, I think it's maybe f- four. Uh, I think it's four or five floors. Mm-hmm. But there's also a rooftop garden. Playground, yeah, for the, the doggies. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> so um, we'll be right back, if you don't mind. Um, do check out beer4beast.com. We're going to have a quick little musical interlude, and we'll be back with Shane Walsh from Six Point. This program has been sponsored by the Hearst Ranch. At Hearst Ranch, ranch manager Cliff Garrison describes their philosophy. Raising cattle on grass is both an ancient practice and one that is standard in much of the modern world. Sometimes the old ways are the right ways. We believe that our methodology is the right one for us. For more information on their premium grass-fed beef, visit HearstRanch.com. All right, that was a fun little break. We're back on air with Shane Welsh, founder president of Six Point Brewery. How's it going? Great. <laughs> I'm all rested after that nice extended that. break. <laughs> all right. So um, and we got to talk about food here. Mm-hmm. The show's called Let's Eat In. After all, what are you looking forward to eating in on, or what do you want me to make on tomorrow for Valentine's Day? Or or do you? Do you want it? What are you, what are you looking, what's the ultimate Valentine's Day meal for you? Anything home cooked by you is good. Really? Yeah. Anything? Come on. You haven't made anything that I didn't like or didn't eat. I mean, it's better than... And there's nothing that we could do and go out anywhere that would be as good as what you could make, so... Oh. Anything? Just, like, what? what is some, like, highlights? I don't know. Just something more, like, special occasion-worthy. Um, uh, like, should I get a fish at the green market? I don't know. Fish is great. You know what I've really been liking lately is all the different soups you've been making. It's, it's winter. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we've been getting into noodles and exploring that a little bit more. So right. I think I think soup is, uh, and you know this too, it's like, at least over here, it's been, it's always been considered like this appetizer, soup and salad. Right. Before, at, at restaurant before uh, you eat, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. uh, that's ridiculous because if you look at it, um, like I always thought of it when we were studying biology. Uh, and you study like the the Earth and its percentages. Mm-hmm. So like seventy percent of the Earth is water, right? Okay. And then when you look at a human body, it's like roughly the same percentage too. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a scaling effect. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So of <laughs> when you look at a bowl of soup, it's like the same deal. So like oh, seventy, you know, see yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like seventy percent of soup might be just the stock, and then the rest of the solid matter in there is noodles and vegetables and then poached egg or whatever you put in it, right? And what I think is interesting about that is that if you're if that's what you're made up, like if that's what your constituents constitu- constituency is, and that's what soup is, and that's what the earth is, then. <laughs> Everything's like that. It's I mean, a perfect it's perfect meal. It's like it's just a broth. 
you live you live in a broth and it's just a bunch of nutrients and stuff swimming around and you're just kind of floating in it you're one of the you know pieces of matter floating around in a soup the cosmic soup which which piece would you be daikon radish a daikon radish (laughs) (laughs) those are kind of bland and on it you know Exactly. That's what I want to be. You know, I've been thinking about... Um, you are pretty pale. <laughs> I am. I'm a space ghost over here. You're like transparent. Yeah. Um, like a daikon. Yep. Yeah. All right, Dyke. Can I call you Dyke for short? <laughs> no, no. No, you can call me Forty Van Dyke. Oh, address of the brewery, by the way. Right. Now you're going to have a million people coming to that door. Just kidding. I hope not. Is that how big your, your viewership is? Listenership? What? Oh, uh, what? How big? Are you asking me or? No. Okay. Anyway. So, so you would be (laughs) in the daikon radish. 40 van daikon. Okay. (laughs) We gotta change that. (laughs) Uh, um, okay. So, um, ultimately, um, you're saying a soup would be an ideal meal because it's so kind of like perfectly composed of all the elements and a very wonderful metaphor for human existence. Is that correct? Gosh, I'm, this is so deep now. Next time I, I eat my split pea soup, I'm going to be going into all sorts of mind territories. Well, I also think that soup is a great way to deliver nutrients. Yeah, that's true. You see what I'm saying? Because Absolutely. like it, it's an aqueous solution. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you think about, like, if you eat these horse pills, like, these huge vitamin C pills, which has, like, 2,000% of your maximum daily allowance. Just eat some soup. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're not going to absorb all of it because it has to be dissolved. In, it does. Right? So, soup is the nutrients, the proteins, and everything are already in the broth. It's already in aqueous solution. So, when you, when you drink the broth or you sip the broth. It's a lot easier mm-hmm. for your it's body like to absorb. It's the anti-raw diet. It's just like cooked, cooked, cooked in this water. Drink the water. Forget the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, there's cold soups too, so they don't have to be cooked. Well, no, I mean, but they're steeped in there. The vegetable isn't raw, is what I'm saying. Right. And then it's chilled later. Okay. Uh, now we clarified that point. Back to six point. Um, you guys expanded so much. You guys, um, I mean, how, how much are you looking to grow this year? Seriously, because I know, um, like, can you give any teasers, new spots that you can get six point? Um, I'd like to get it at a f- in a few more spots in, my, in Park Slope, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Before we start thinking about all this other stuff. But, but um, there'll be a homecoming one day. A homecoming to well, your I was, home? Yeah, I was born and raised out in the Midwest, so one day eventually getting the beer out there will be excellent. a dream. And then, you know, that's a big beer culture, so that'll be a, a challenge, right? Because they have so many different craft breweries sure. in that area. But we're very distinctive, so it won't be an issue. All right. That's something to look forward to. Hope so. And... uh I think you've answered this question because you've been on air so many times. But what do you think is the most romantic date meal of all time? Just maybe it could be a new idea that came to you. Well, lately, I, I'd have to think sea urchin is 
sea urchin. Yeah. Which is really the row of the sea urchin that you would right. get at a Japanese kind of, it would be uncooked state. Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty that, intense. That's, that really Yeah, especially And right now is actually peak season, mm-hmm. or just the end of the peak season for it, when it's tasting really good. It it's gets really very sweet. very intense stuff. Yeah. It's Slimy, bit. gooey. It's very vaginal. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, thanks for that tip. Yeah. Definitely check that out if you haven't tried sea urchin. It's quite an experience. It's even more intense than oysters. So uh, and any recommendations where to get that, Shane? Because um, you're not going to just, you know, come across it. Yeah, I would go to the authentic places. So don't go to, um, you know, those pop-up sushi places where, you know, not that I don't think other people can prepare sushi, but it's in my experience, Japanese people make the best sushi. <laughs> um, so if you go to a place where they really go at lengths to sourcing really good fish, um, this is a, to- a whole other topic, but like like vegetables, like you go to a restaurant and everyone wants to be very transparent about where they get their yeah. food from nowadays, but it's very rare that people tell you where they get their fish from. And especially when you go to sushi restaurants, apparently the majority of the fish that comes into New York is controlled by a cartel. And a lot of it gets stored temporarily in these fish holding pens. That's definitely another whole topic altogether. Yeah. So worthy of discussion much, you know, definitely. So it's also, it, it is a luxury because to go out and to enjoy like really good fresh sushi it needs to be flown in from various parts of the world so Mm -hmm. it's a very expensive expensive proposition any suggestions where to get the sea urchin well i'll tell you what the stuff that we had at sakagura was pretty awesome sakagura midtown east check it out all right thanks so much for being our guest today that's about all the time we got um, do you check out Beer for Beasts and also, of course, SixPoint.com, Facebook. There's a YouTube page. There's a Flickr page. You can find it. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. I gotta stand tall You know a man can't crawl When he knows she's telling lies